Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. Our text for this evening is found in verse 8 of this chapter. We hear the word of God in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things." For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Thus far we read from God's holy word. So I said our text this evening is found in this chapter, Philippians 3, verse 8, verse 8, where we read, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, this chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians begins with a rather sharp warning. The apostle is deeply concerned because of false teachers, Judaizers that were troubling the church of Philippi. These Judaizers were Jews that were bitter enemies of the church and of the truth of the gospel. These Judaizers denied the efficacy of the cross of Christ, and they put their confidence in their own supposed righteousness, emphasizing especially the outward rite of circumcision. Paul had previously warned the Philippians about these Judaizers, but for their spiritual safety, he repeats this warning. A warning that is pertinent also today. Today, too, there are many who, in effect, deny the power of the cross. They put their confidence in themselves, their own works, in outward form and ceremony, in a superficial show of religion. Because this warning arises out of Paul's great love for his brethren in Philippi, he uses powerful language in this warning against the Judaizers. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. He uses the term dogs. That was a derisive Jewish designation for all Gentiles. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. But now that term is thrown back at the Judaizers, for they are truly dogs, filthy, shameless scavengers. Beware of evil workers. These Judaizers were indeed Busy workers, full of zeal, exceedingly energetic in their efforts to pervert the gospel and glorify works righteousness. Beware the concision, or more literally, the mutilation. With that language, Paul criticizes the Judaizers for their emphasis on the outward rite of circumcision. Beware of such, the apostle exclaims, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And then with a powerful argument using 
his own life as an example. Paul exhorts the Philippians to reject the doctrine of righteousness by works, by the law, by outward forms and rites for Christ's sake. Paul, as it were, challenges the Judaizers. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul lays it out. Look at me. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If anyone can trust in the flesh, I can. But, but, to Paul, all these separate gains became one huge loss for Christ. As the apostle told up the column of supposed assets in his ledger, he finds that they are all transferred to the column of liabilities and they are entered as one gigantic liability, a loss. He confesses, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Then follows our text, a beautiful confession of Paul, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. One thing is above all things precious to the apostle, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Beloved, in this season, as our children and young people again take up their catechism lessons, as our children and young people have again begun their studies in school, as the society, life of the congregation resumes, it's well that we all be reminded that in all of this, we are essentially doing just one thing. We could term it this way. We are involved in the pursuit of excellence. Now we can speak of the pursuit of excellence in different spheres. Pursuit of academic excellence in our studies. That's commendable. It's our calling to use the gifts and talents and abilities, the time we have to do our best before our God. We can talk about the pursuit of excellence with regard to our work, our career, 
That too is commendable, especially in the days in which we are living, in which the work ethic on the part of many is lacking dreadfully. We can talk about the pursuit of excellence with regard to a particular sporting activity. But what is the excellence here? It is the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord. That knowledge is revealed in the inspired, infallible Holy Scriptures, and that we must pursue with all that is in us. We must ever strive to acquire that knowledge and to grow in that knowledge now and for the rest of our lives here on the earth. And everything in our lives must be subservient to that. In a real sense of the word, the pursuit of that excellence must be a life commitment. From this viewpoint, beloved, and can you honestly say, I don't have time for Bible study, for society, or, while we're in a hurry, let's just skip our family devotions tonight, or, well, I forgot to learn my catechism. Oh, no. The apostle says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And it's in this light that we consider our text under the theme, the pursuit of excellence. And we notice the rich idea, secondly, the high purpose, and finally, the priceless value. What is this knowledge that is so exceedingly precious? Our text speaks of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so Paul is referring to the Savior as he stands and revealed in all the preciousness and beauty of his person through his threefold name, knowledge of Christ, the anointed one. This is the knowledge of the one who was ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and our only high priest and our eternal king. This is the knowledge of the one who has revealed to us the counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. The one who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who now makes intercession for us. The one who governs us by his word and spirit. This is knowledge of Jesus. Jesus. Jehovah, salvation, Savior. He's the one who saves his people from their sins. This is the knowledge of the one who delivers us through the blood of his cross from the corruption and guilt of sin. This is knowledge of the Lord, the exalted one, his Lord. He owns us because he purchased us with 
the price of His own precious blood. This is the knowledge of Him who rules over us by His Word and Spirit. He is Lord. All power and dominion and might have been given into His hand, even at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the knowledge revealed in the gospel, the good news which we have in the scriptures. The scriptures are the infallibly inspired written record of the revelation of God. They are the source of this knowledge. The scriptures reveal the Savior as Jesus Christ, and Lord. And understand that's true of all Scripture. Scripture reveals the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is on every page. And in every passage of the Bible, Scripture reveals Christ in whom God determined to reveal His glory. Scripture reveals Christ in whom God elected His people from before the foundations of the world. Christ by whom and for whom all things were made. Christ who redeemed us by His suffering and death from sin and death and hell. Christ risen and exalted who has the preeminence in all things. And in Christ The God of our salvation is revealed in all His sovereignty and almighty power in all His glory as the ever-blessed God. The knowledge of the Scriptures, therefore, you must pursue if you are going to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Further, this excellent knowledge is set forth in our creeds Creeds of the Reformation, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, the canons of the Great Synod of Dortrecht contain this excellent knowledge. In a truly marvelous and eloquent way, these creeds systematize the truths of the Word of God. They are a beautiful summary of the precious truths of the Scriptures. In other words, this knowledge is the Reformed faith, even our distinctive Protestant Reformed faith. The historic Reformed faith preaches but one theme, the absolute sovereignty of God. And that theme proclaims the total depravity of man, his guilt and corruption and inability to do any good apart from grace. This faith proclaims the absolute sovereignty of God's grace in Christ by which the elect are saved and the calling of the redeemed to live in thankfulness unto God. This knowledge must be maintained and pursued at all costs. The pure preaching of the word must proclaim this Christ of the Scriptures as the revelation of the God of our salvation must have expository doctrinal preaching so that 
the knowledge of Christ is imparted so that we grow in that knowledge. Now the Apostle Paul certainly has an intellectual understanding of the Savior. Paul, in his younger days, had been instructed at the feet of the learned Jewish teacher Gamaliel. Throughout his life, he had been instructed in the Old Testament scriptures. And he had heard about this Christ even from the lips of dying saints, as formerly he had joined in their persecution years before. Thanks be to God on the way to Damascus, when the exalted Christ appeared and spoke to Paul, Paul had learned to know Jesus. And since that time, he had learned more and more about his Lord and Savior. And understand that intellectual knowledge was important. Paul couldn't really know Christ without knowing all about him. And the revelation of Christ had to fill the mind of Paul. For us too. We may never minimize the importance of an intellectual knowledge of the truth. What a blessing. Through almost a hundred years of history as a denomination has been the systematic program of catechism for the youth of the church. What a blessing have been good Christian schools established in so many of the localities of our congregations, also here in Linden, where our children may be instructed on the basis of God's Word in all of their learning. Notice, even more that the inspired apostle writes, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. We see so much of the modern day church an awful ignorance. And the words of the prophet ring true as never before. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But it was obviously much more than an intellectual knowledge. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This was much more than just a cold assent to the truth concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He says, my Lord. What value would all of this intellectual knowledge have if he could not say, My Lord? For you see, this means that Paul personally appropriated this knowledge. He was making a personal confession. 
So we see that this knowledge was a knowledge of the heart. This knowledge that Paul had forced him to flee to Christ. It forced him to find all his righteousness in Christ alone. The knowledge, this knowledge forced Paul to seek to know Jesus more and more. The point is that without this spiritual knowledge of the heart, Paul would never have really known Christ. No matter how much he knew about Christ, he wouldn't have known him. Even if he could lecture hour after hour concerning Christ's incarnation, even if he could write volumes on Christology, he would not really know Christ. Without this spiritual knowledge, his soul would have remained empty and dark. We can try to illustrate this point by considering two men, both of, both of them sitting before a large table loaded with delicious prepared foods, marvelous delicacies. The one man is a dietitian. He can he's able to scientifically analyze the ingredients and the health benefits of each one of those prepared dishes on the table, but sad to say he is beset with cancer of the stomach and he is unable to take a single bite. But the other man has been working hard all day. Oh, he has a hearty appetite and he is able to sit down and dig in and taste and enjoy and relish every bite. So it is, beloved, with this spiritual knowledge of Christ. We taste, we see, we enjoy, and know Christ experientially. This is the knowledge set forth in the Gospel according to John and the beautiful high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal. Notice that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. This knowledge is everything, even eternal life. This knowledge is the knowledge of a true and living faith that unites the Believer to Christ, this is the knowledge of one who has been brought into rich covenant fellowship with God. This knowledge, beloved, is the miracle of Scripture's power as wrought by the Spirit of Christ. The Scriptures, in believing them, bring us to Christ Himself. We Lay hold on Christ, we know Him. This knowledge lifts the sinner out of the misery of his sin and elevates his soul into the heights of Father's glory. 
This knowledge carries us out of darkness and into the marvelous light of God's fellowship. What then is really the purpose of this pursuit of excellence? The apostle terms it that I may win Christ. Now that I may win Christ must not be understood in a selfish, self-glorifying sense. Paul is not sacrificing one thing just so that he can make a great personal gain in the end. Oh, it's true that he is not forgetting himself. It's true that he is seeking to promote his own spiritual welfare. But the purpose of this knowledge is never separated from concern for the glory of God. As he wrote to the Romans in chapter 11, verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Winning Christ cannot refer to a personal glory or profit like that associated with the simple pleasure of winning a game. No, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In the second place, that I may win Christ must not be understood in an Armenian free willist sense. Armenians love to speak about winning Christ. They would maintain that winning Christ is something anyone can do of himself simply through an exercise of his own free will. It's a simple thing. Simply follow three or four simple steps. Ultimately, they say that for one to win Christ, he must, by an act of his own will, accept Christ as offered to all in the gospel. Be not deceived. We see that that makes God dependent upon the whims and wiles of man. It destroys the sovereignty of God. It would leave God, as it were, helplessly standing by with his hands tied, waiting patiently for carnal man to win Christ. It cannot be. But literally, the term win here means to gain or to acquire. And so the idea is that to know Christ... To have the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord means that we strive to gain or acquire an ever greater, deeper knowledge of the Savior. Exactly that is the pursuit of excellence in this connection. That I may win Christ means that my soul hungers and thirsts after Christ, desiring to know Him more and more. In the opening chapter of this letter to the Philippians, the apostle had prayed for the saints there that their love may abound yet more and more, notice, in knowledge and in all judgment. That's verse 9 of the first chapter. It's true, of course, that as soon as 
the child of God appropriates Christ by a true and living faith. He has in principle won or gained Christ. It's not so that one gains Christ just a little bit at a time, receiving first one and then another of the riches of Christ until he has completely won Christ. Winning Christ is not a piecemeal process, but principally winning Christ is accomplished the moment one has appropriated Christ and all his benefits by faith. Yet although in principle the believer may have won Christ, he continually wins or gains Christ in the way of spiritual development and growth. And we realize that we have only a taste of him and his blessings and we long for a clearer and fuller apprehension of the riches of Christ. As our knowledge of our sins grows deeper, as we become more sensitive to sin through the working of the Spirit, we realize more and more that we lie in the midst of death and that we have nothing of ourselves in which to boast. When we first believe in Christ, we don't half realize what a wonderful Savior we have. And so the purpose is that in ourselves we become ever more conscious of the fact that our righteousnesses are but filthy rags while Christ becomes ever richer and greater as the object and basis for our faith and hope. An entire lifetime is not sufficient to reveal to us how miserable we are, how great Christ is. One of our Protestant Reformed forefathers remarked near the end of his life, I have preached nearly 50 years. If the Lord gave me another 50 years, I still would only scratch the surface. And that's true. And so the scriptures exhort us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. To win Christ is everything. For we know the perfect knowledge of Christ awaits us in glory when we shall no longer see through a glass darkly, but face to face. So it is. But this knowledge is priceless in value. Paul speaks of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And literally the idea is that this knowledge stands far above everything else. It is an all-surpassing knowledge. It's characterized by super eminence. 
Paul is saying that in comparison with this knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord, all other things lose their value. The knowledge of Christ is so overwhelmingly excellent that compared with it, there's really nothing that's important. He emphasizes that nothing else can constitute his righteousness before God. Nothing else can possibly be the basis for his confidence. And beloved, we too must confess that the knowledge of Christ is priceless in value. The one all-important thing in our lives must be the knowledge of Christ. Nothing else may replace or be substituted for that. Nothing else may even attempt to be on a par with that. Nothing may in any way interfere with that incomparable knowledge. Is that true? True for you? Let's look at ourselves. What's really important in my life? Is it my career? My money? Possessions? Pleasure, position, or popularity? God forbid. Because the knowledge of Christ is all-surpassing, we must make that the fundamental goal of our lives. Must search the Scriptures. Study the Word of God diligently privately in personal times of devotions. Certainly with our families, family devotions, a time set apart for family. Meditate, read and meditate prayerfully upon the Word of God. Let's find a time in our busy lives that works for our family. As much as possible must be true also for fellowship with our fellow saints around the scriptures, Bible study. Prayerfully meditate upon God's word, delving into its depths. We seek and rejoice in the pure and lively preaching of the gospel. We may let nothing separate us from that church that purely proclaims the gospel of Christ. Not career opportunities, not relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, nothing. The preaching of the word is proclaim the full Christ, Christ of Scripture as the revelation of the God of our salvation It must lead us to confess with Paul, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Let us notice that there is a progression here in Paul's personal appropriation of this knowledge. First, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And when he says, I count all things but loss, he includes much more than he mentioned in the earlier context here in this chapter concerning his descent, his background, and his own works. Now Paul includes all of his earthly possessions and his money and his friends, anything and everything that could possibly hinder his knowing Christ. But then Paul says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He emphasizes that he had lost whatever was at one time very dear to him for the sake of his Savior. He had sacrificed all. All of those things had in some respect been a hindrance to him. They had hurt or injured him by being the objects of his trust and confidence. The incomparable preciousness of the knowledge of Christ was still the only thing that mattered. In fact, Paul emphasizes that truth when he says not only that he has suffered the loss of all things, but he counts them but dung. And this term dung literally has the idea of worthlessness or filth. Not only are all the things in which Paul formerly placed his confidence a loss to him, one big liability, but they are as dung, as manure, as refuse or rubbish that must be cast out. Paul emphasizes that his attitude hadn't changed, that he continues to count all things but loss and dung. And remember, the apostle is writing this letter to the Philippians. Looking back over all the years of his life, and Paul was at this very time imprisoned in Rome, very near the end of his life. And Paul reflects on the life he has lived for the sake of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He describes his sufferings for Christ's sake in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. Paul suffered weariness and painfulness and hunger and thirst and cold and nakedness. And on top of it all, Paul bore the great responsibility for the care of all the churches. Paul's life clearly demonstrates that by the grace of God, he had renounced all trust and confidence in his descent and in any supposed righteousness of his own. 
all his pride of tradition, of ancestry, of Jewish orthodoxy, of outward conformity to the law, and of whatever else had been the object of his confidence before, Paul considers loss. He would let nothing hinder him from the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And make no mistake, Paul could have gone places, humanly speaking, in this world. He had an excellent pedigree. He had a fine education. Paul himself could have been a learned doctor of the law. Earthly honor and esteem and fame could have been his. But by the grace of God, he was willing to count all things but loss dung compared with the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Beloved, we too must count all things but loss and dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. God forbid that we would glory in the flesh But if necessary, we must lose all things for the sake of the knowledge of Christ. Indeed, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Can you say it? Can you say, I count all things but dung that I may win Christ? Can you say, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord? Do you long to gain Christ, to know Him more and more, to have your life more and more conformable to His glory? Can you say that the only thing, the all-surpassing thing in your life is the knowledge of Christ? The Apostle did. And all that was connected with his own righteousness, which was of the law, with his privileges, his name, his position, his influence, his fellowship with his brethren according to the flesh, all that had been counted dung. From the first moment, he had begun to taste the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And he was still by the grace of God, willing to lose all that pertained to his earthly life, even that life itself, that he might gain Christ. Is that true of us? Of our lives? If it is, if it is children, young people, then Learning our catechism is far more important to us than watching something on television or playing some computer game. If it is, young men, young women, then your Bible means more to you than any fine fashion items or any recreational toys of this world. If it's true of you and your life, beloved, then all the pleasures and treasures of this world are nothing to us and the knowledge of Christ is everything. 
knowing Christ, we realize that in Him there are true pleasures forever. Treasures that have never been counted. Depths of grace we've never fathomed. Riches of love we have never tasted. Heights of glory we've never climbed. A fullness of joy we've never experienced. Knowing Him, we feel that we've only just begun, even if we are already growing older. And we long to know Him in all His fullness, ultimately to see Him face to face, to know as we are known. And let us cry from our hearts this beautiful confession of the Apostle. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and experience the unspeakable excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, the precious treasure of Thy Word, the Gospel of Christ. And we pray that through the working of His Spirit, we may pursue that excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord, young and old alike, all our earthly days. Forgive us, we pray, our worldly-mindedness and the weakness of our faith. Gird us up by Thy Spirit, even the Spirit of Christ, we pray, Asking this all in Jesus' name. Amen.